Fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And the best way to level up both your mental and your physical fitness is by making small but powerful changes to your daily habits and routines. With this podcast, I aim to bring you a combination of short educational solo casts and slightly longer conversations I've had with a wide variety of fascinating people. The goal? To help you develop a lifestyle which supports your mental and physical fitness and improves your overall quality of life. My name is Jay Unwin. Welcome to FitBody FitMind. Welcome back to Fit Body Fit Mind. And today I have got with me Kaki Okamura, who is a food and wellness writer on Medium. And she has written some absolutely fantastic articles, which really piqued my interest all about the Japanese culture around food and well-being. Kaki, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining me and thanks for uh, sharing your time because I know obviously with the time difference and stuff it's 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 morning here and it's you know you should have clocked off by now surely uh, I mean it's still 7pm so I oh, still it's not got too some bad. time yeah it's not too bad it's not too bad so um the first question really that I'd, I'd love for you to kind of share with me and share with the guys who are listening is what's your philosophy around wellness you write about it a lot what's your philosophy how does that fit into your daily life and uh, and how does it kind of feature in your writing i mean i first of all i think wellness just taking care of yourself is the foundation to any um kind of meaningful lifestyle um and you know wellness is not like something that you need to be I think when people talk about health, um, people think you need to have these really strict rules that you need to be really hard with yourself. You need to be working out many hours a day and you need to be eating only salads, counting calories or whatever. And, you know, it works for some people, but I think for the majority of people, um, that's not necessarily how they want to control the way they take care of themselves. And so when I talk about health, I focus a lot on joy which might not be the most conventional approach, but I think when we talk about lasting habits, we're only consistent in the things that we really enjoy and like we need to just like taking care of ourselves. So um, that's kind of the background I have with just wellness. Yeah. (laughs) I think that, I think that that's a really vital thing for people to understand because it's become so ingrained in, uh, in a lot of, our kind of cultures and lifestyle i mean my i've only ever lived in the uk but i know that the the same is true for the united states and um, a lot of other kind of countries where fitness has become this thing which is added on to a lifestyle rather than incorporated into a lifestyle it's not a kind of it's not just something that you do as part of your daily routine it's something that you you have to you have to kind of bolt on to the end of it because you know you you know you should be doing it and this idea of should becomes toxic in a lot of ways because it feels like it feels like a chore it feels like a job you've got to do yeah and when you when you feel like that about something you're going to find every excuse possible not to do those things and it's like you said about <laughs> if you enjoy it you're more likely to continue with it and it seems like such a simple um such a simple idea and yet so few people actually take that on board and find something they love yeah no i think 
I mean, I just to give a bit of background about myself, I was born in the U.S. I was born in Texas, but then I moved to New York when I was about uh, seven. And I just remember P.E. being this thing that was it was forced on me. I they did not make it seem like something we should enjoy. Yeah. And I just grew up with this understanding that, wow, Pete, like working out and exercising and moving was just something that didn't seem fun. Yeah. Um, I wasn't, I didn't do sports as a kid. Um, and maybe it's because I had this idea that exercise just wasn't for me. But the way I grew up with it, it just felt like a chore. Like, <laughs> It just didn't seem that fun. And, you know, when things are forced upon you, a lot of our understanding of how we take care of ourselves, they grow up in when we're young. And so I just grew up this, this understanding that like, hey, working out sucks. It's a chore. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, that's the the earliest experience of, of fitness, I guess, in a lot of people's lives, at least what they associate with fitness. Obviously, when you're a kid, before you go to school, you're running around all over the place, you're climbing trees, you're rolling down hills, mm -hmm. you're, you know, whatever. And, and any kind of time you take a, a young kid to an open space, they're running about and they're enjoying that space. And so that side of physical activity is something that we're we're very familiar with but as soon as it starts uh being a kind of made more rigid and you go into school and you're doing something like uh pe then that's when you start associating it with phys uh, with physical exercise and you start associating it with fitness and it's for 95 or more percent of people it's a negative experience there's a handful of people who are naturally athletic kids you know perhaps they've got sporty parents and they've always been encouraged to do sports and things like that and and so PE is a is a great uh, experience for them and they're the kind of people that then go through life playing sports and they're often the people who will end up then working in the fitness industry as coaches and personal trainers and stuff and they mm -hmm. won't have the understanding of why the rest of the population have this aversion to physical exercise when for them it's always been such a positive experience. Yeah, I think getting, you know, you need people who kind of understand that exercise doesn't naturally come as this thing that everyone loves. Um, I think especially, right, there's such a, it's a great thing to be really positive about fitness and exercise, but I think a lot of people just feel really overwhelmed by it. Like, yeah if you're not, you know, running 5k and loving every minute of it, that means you don't like exercise. But <laughs> yeah. you know, it doesn't, that doesn't need to be the kind of fitness you enjoy. So um, I recently wrote a piece on walking, which was one of my most popular pieces, but it was a good piece. Um, I read that basic one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but basically, I wrote about this idea in Japan, how, you know, I, the idea of fitness, if you walk up to a Japanese person and ask them, like, do you work out? Like, what's your exercise? Like, what are your exercising habits? Like, people will literally be like, what? You know, people yeah. don't really work out. They don't really go to gym, which was, you know, I think it's surprising for a lot of people. When I, I studied abroad in Sweden for a semester one time, and I saw people taking their lunch breaks to go to the gym, they're yeah. exercising every day. And they'd be like, well, you know, there's this idea that Japanese people are really fit and 
they'd ask me like, oh, in Japan, is it kind of like this? And I'd be like, no, there are no, and you took your lunch break <laughs> and went to the gym. People think you're like a crazy, like ex- you like love exercise and you're kind of crazy for it. Um, but Japanese people, when they think about exercise, it's the way it's incorporated in their life. Um, mostly it's walking. That's the huge thing. Yeah. Um, you know, you ride public transportation, Japan as a country is really safe, but cities are really safe too. So, you know, I'm like a young woman, but I can walk outside alone at night Yeah. and I don't, I'm not like super scared. Um, and you know, you go grocery shopping, go to work, you're walking, you're taking stairs and you know, this is the way people get exercise and it's enough. It can, you know, you don't need to be running, you know, every single day and it could just be enough to do house chores, use your, use your muscles and your body in that sort of way. Yeah. It's interesting because the way that we've evolved as, as a species, you know, we evolved not, we didn't evolve to exercise. We evolved to move just through our daily, (laughs) our daily existence. Right. Um, and, and exercise is, is useful for people who need to cram a, a, a lot of exercise into a small amount of time, you know, if they're, if they have a very sedentary lifestyle, but it is so, it's so key to have less you know sitting time and stuff i mean i saw something recently which said that um, the average person in the states sits for uh, 12 hours per day and if you then consider they're sleeping oh for yeah i know and then if you consider that they're sleeping for seven or eight hours a night ideally um but if, if you think about 12 hours that's not that hard when you break it down it's not that hard to sit for 12 hours a day because most people have desk-based jobs and so that's already about eight hours i mean let's say seven if you if you're getting up and down and going and getting a drink and going to the loo and whatever mm-hmm. um but then you sit down to eat, you sit down on the sofa and watch TV in the evenings. And so there's this huge amount of just sitting throughout the day. And you sit in the car to drive to and from work and you sit in the mm-hmm. car to drive to and from the shops. And like you said, I mean, the, the average steps, which I think is was something that you featured in that article that you were just talking about, the average steps in Japan for an adult are completely different to the average steps for uh, someone in the UK. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what it's like in the UK, but in the US, it's definitely, I think it's around 3,000 or something. Yeah, it's the same in the UK. Yes, it's it's between three three and 4,000 in the the UK. Yeah. And then in Japan, it's double that, you know, I I think like for males, it's even a little bit more, which, you know, no one's really, no one's counting their steps. No one's like, okay, gotta reach 8,000 steps today. But it's just really interesting. I think, you know, when I talk about health, there's things, there's obviously the individual part of it um, being more, you can't just let be like, oh, I don't have, you know, I, I can't walk to work. So I'm just not going to try moving. But I think a big advantage that Japan just has as a country is really good public infrastructure where yeah. people can just walk and, yeah. you know, incorporate exercise into their life and, you know, I'm not against fitness. I love, I love working out. I love fitness culture, and I'm really supportive of it. But um, the whole point of the walking article is, hey, you know, there's different approaches to fitness. You don't need to always think about it as like an entire hour at a gym. There's other ways you can think about moving your body. 
So that's what I was hoping to accomplish with that. Well, I think it, I think it did accomplish that, to be honest. And I think that's <laughs> that's the impression I got from reading it. And that's one of the reasons why I reached out to you is because that ties in so nicely with my philosophy around it as well. Like something that I'm really passionate about is trying to get people to walk more and include more exercise just in their daily life or rather not exercise but just movement just physical activity in their daily lives because it's the stuff that you don't necessarily notice on a daily basis just because it's something you do but it adds up because if you think about I mean you look at if we if we look at the steps again for example and if you look at the average being three to four thousand in the UK and you think of the average in 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 Japan being more like seven to eight thousand and that just being part of daily life like you said it's not a target it's not like something where where everyone in the population has gone right i've got to get my eight thousand steps in that's not it's just it's just part of life um and it's supported like you said by the infrastructure but that over a day is going to be a minimal difference if you walked eight thousand steps in one day versus three thousand the previous day but then you went back to doing three thousand nothing really happens like you have a nice walk you feel Mm -hmm. good you've probably seen some nice scenery or whatever and that's about it (laughs) If you repeat that every single day, that's where the power lies. And if it's just something that's part of your lifestyle and you do it every single week and you do it, you know, you do it every every day for a, a few years, the the difference is astounding because it's it's this mm-hmm. compound effect over uh, over an extended period of time. And people are so caught up with what they can achieve in four weeks eight weeks 12 weeks mm-hmm. they, they they and they try and they try and start these things which are an hour in the gym every night for example and they wonder why they can't sustain it and it's because it's it's because it's just it's too much of a it's too much of a shift too quickly and walking is mm-hmm. i think the most under appreciated form of exercise there is yes it's so good everyone should walk more yeah no, um, absolutely <laughs> But yeah, I think especially when we talk about like, you know, just the psychology of adopting healthy habits, especially if you're not used to it or if you didn't grow up with it, is that people have a really hard time being consistent. Um, Oh, yeah. It's not like one way is better than the other, but, um, you know, there's no way to be like running is better than lifting weights or vice versa. But if you're not consistent with it, it's not there's no benefit to having knowing that lifting weights is better for something than running yeah yeah so. it's the the mixture and the variety is always going to be best like because we're we're not um we're not specialists when it comes to movement and this was a conversation i actually had recently with uh, another guy called daryl edwards and we were talking about how humans aren't specialists we're not particularly good at lifting compared to the animal kingdom if you look at an ant an ant can lift a lot something like 10 times its own body weight we can't do that uh, we're not particularly fast at running um compared to a lot of the animal kingdom we're not particularly good swimmers compared to something like a swordfish um but we can do all of these things. You know, we're a better swimmer than an ant and we can lift more than a swordfish. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the the one thing which we stand out at, which we can rival some of the rest of the animal kingdom is walking. So we, we are very, very, very good at walking. We can walk for extremely long distances in terms of the way we're, we're set up physiologically. And so, yes, it, we, we should try and embrace as many different kinds of movement as possible because that's, uh, that's, that's kind of, I, I guess, the optimal. It's the healthiest way to be is the variety. But if we were going to do anything, we might as well do that, that, that thing which suits our frame better than anything else, right? Yeah. 
And obviously it does vary person to person. (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I I wrote about walking, but, um, you know, if you don't have time, if it's not ingrating your lifestyle, like I totally get how people are just like, I'm just going to work out every day. Um, Just the important part is finding something that you feel like you can do every day. I know when I used to be really overweight, which is why I kind of understand why people have such an aversion to exercise because I felt it a lot before. But during that time where I was like, oh, I need to work out, but I didn't think I enjoyed exercise. I just do seven to 10 minutes a day. And that was something I felt like I could do every day. Yeah. And, you know, once, and that was during a time where I just didn't want to go outside and I didn't want to walk or whatever, but seven to 10 minutes is nothing in terms of time. And I just do that. And, you know, once the 10 minutes was done, I was done. But from then you kind of are like, oh, you know, I kind of like this. I want to do more than 10 minutes. And you build on that. And, you know, recently I just completed my first half marathon, which is super exciting for me. Um, And, you know, now it's like, oh, do I want to do a full marathon? I don't know if I'll ever become like a running junkie, but it was just, it felt like really nice to accomplish that because I remember being younger and being like, oh, I can't even run for five minutes straight. And yeah. now I was like, I just did half, half marathon. Yeah, it's a, it's a milestone cool. thing, isn't it? <laughs> when you when you achieve something that in the past seemed like something that is completely unattainable. But like you said, it starts with what what you were doing was you were putting the foundations in place and you weren't looking at, oh, this is where I, this is what I've got this kind of lofty goal. It's great to have goals, but it's the daily stuff which which builds up to that goal if you focus on having the goal of running a half marathon or running a marathon but at the time you hate running that's going to seem pretty insurmountable right it seems like a crazy goal whereas if you just focus on right what i'm going to do is i'm going to work out for seven to ten minutes today and then i'm going to work out for seven to ten minutes tomorrow and then i'll go from there and then the next day you do it and then you go right i'm going to do the same again tomorrow and you're just looking at that next step in front of you and mm-hmm. before you know it, you formed a routine. You formed something which is almost automatic and it feels more strange not to do it than to do it. And you start getting that that kind of feedback of neurotransmitters and endorphins and you start thinking, hey, actually, I feel good after having done it, like physically good and, and a little bit smug as well. And <laughs> it was, that's, I mean, I, it's, it's a, I think that's... No, an, it's true. <laughs> it's an overlooked benefit of exercise is smugness because you can sit there afterwards and go, I've just worked out. And, and it, it's a good feeling, right? And I think that I think more of us need to actually embrace that and go, this is my this is my reward for doing it is enjoying that enjoying that smug feeling afterwards. Um but yeah, when you start doing that and you start thinking, oh actually it's not about the yes, it's it's I'm challenging my body and I'm doing something which is difficult, but that's why I feel good afterwards. And it's no longer about that end goal, but it's about the process. And it's about that kind of that immediate reward because again we're geared up for immediate reward humans want to be rewarded immediately and having a reward in 18 months time is a bit hard for us to get our heads around so having a reward immediately or feeling good is quite a a, quite a nice thing to attach uh attach to that routine yeah definitely i mean it was literally just the fact that hey i have a streak going so i'm just gonna keep doing this and that felt that was enough to just get me to keep doing it um and you know i think for some people they do they track their steps that's their kind of goal setting but it's just like every something that keeps you keep 
keep going every day is um you know you gotta focus on stuff like that in the beginning i think that i think that having those kind of streaks that you don't want to break is really powerful as well because and and this is if you track it if you like put a cross on your calendar or you've got a habit tracker of some kind or you know you talk about steps say someone's got a fitbit or something like that and they're tracking their steps um on whatever device they happen to use and they um they like to be able to see that they've achieved that on a daily basis. So those daily goals, I think, are massively uh, powerful because we hate having a day which doesn't have a cross in it. You know, like that chain being broken is like, it feels really <laughs> frustrating. And so you're like, oh, if I don't do my seven minutes of working out, I'm not allowed to put a cross in that box and it will spoil that calendar because there'll be that one day that I didn't do it. And so you just go, oh, you know what? That's worse than the seven minutes of exercise. So I'm going to do the exercise. And then, you you know, you can put your cross in the box and go about your day. And it is, it's like, it's so simple. And I think people forget that there's, there, it's not easy necessarily. Easy and simple aren't the same thing, but it is simple. Even if it's not easy, it is simple. And there's mm-hmm. these little strategies that we can use. Um, so you you mentioned. Yeah. Of, of I would it, note though. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no. Go I just for wanted it. to say that um, while I yeah I think daily challenges and stuff like that are really important. They're really good, but I also want to say they're not for everyone. I know people exercise guilt is a thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so you know if you start if it stops being joyful, basically if you start hating it and if it starts stressing you out that means you need to do something different. So it goes back to my philosophy towards health, but you just need to enjoy yeah. the way you take care of yourself. Yeah. So and I, I th- just wanted to put that out there. Oh yeah, no, I t- 100% agree with that. And I, I think that I think it's key to understand that you will have days where you don't really feel up for it or you don't, um, you don't want to do it. And if you kind of genuinely, even if you're tracking it and you don't want to kind of miss that cross in the box type thing, um, but if there's a day where you just go, actually, I really don't, you know, maybe you're unwell and working out is probably a terrible idea. That's cool. And if you, it's, I think yeah. the tracking, I think the tracking thing is, is useful for those days when maybe you're not feeling motivated or you're not fit or you're feeling a bit lazy, but not on the days when you're feeling genuinely really rubbish. Um, those days it's, yeah. you know, it's, 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 there are days where it's cool to just kind of go, well, actually that habit. And also the habit's going to be different for different people. We were talking about working out for seven to 10 minutes. That was your habit. It might be mm-hmm. walking around the block, you know, it might be something completely different. It might be doing two minutes of stretching. It, it It's going to look different for different people. So it's not that you have to do yeah. the same thing as someone else. Um, but I think that, you know, you talk about finding joy in it. Yes, there'll be days where you don't find joy in it and you do it anyway. And that's cool <laughs> as well. You know, that's that's having that, that, that resolve and that determination. But you might enjoy it again the next day. If there's a run of days, if there's a run of days where you haven't enjoyed it any day for like a week, you're probably, it's probably time you change it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or I think if you won't enjoy it, it's not going to stick. So, you know, you don't need to worry. Yeah. And things change, don't they? Because what you you enjoy one day isn't going to, or sorry, at one stage in your life, isn't necessarily going to be what you enjoy five years later. Oh, so true. Yes. So you were talking about... um, 
you know, you were. I, I don't tend to talk about weight and stuff as a big focus because there's so many different aspects of of uh, of health and fitness than just weight or body composition. And I think there's enough people talking yeah. about that. Um, however, it is a measure of 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 kind of fitness in in one small sliver. Um, body composition does make a difference to our health, of course. And you mentioned that that's part of your journey. Um, how did how did nutrition play a part in that? Um. I mean, it was so important, but I guess I was never, I was, you know, I'm feeling tired. I feel like I have no energy. I'm, you know, unsatisfied with um, just the way I, was, I just didn't even like the way I was taking care of myself. Sure. Um, and, you know, eating well was just, it's it was a form of self-love at one point, you know, yeah. it's just, hey, care about myself. You know, I want to treat myself well and I want to have a good future. I want to take care of that. And that means eating well and cooking for myself and investing time and really money into, you know, buying vegetables and buying cooking gear. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's kind of what nutrition was. It was just like a form of self-love. <laughs> so it was like um, it, that was a that was a change that you made. Um in, yeah, like you said, in terms of self-love, self-care and stuff like that. And then the the kind of longer term effects of that were a side effect. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's I mean, obviously, there were parts of me where it's just like, oh, I want to, you know, become more lean. I want to, you know, feel good about the way I look. Um, but, you know, it was just I know this is good for me, so. I'm good. I want, and it makes me feel good after a while, so I'm going to do it. I think that's a that's a, a key takeaway for a lot of people because obviously, you know, if we're talking about weight and body composition, that is one of the first things that people think about when they think about health. Um, whether that's whether that's right or wrong, you know, like it's health and fitness and well being for me are far, far, far more wide ranging than that. And I think that the 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 bias is far too heavy on weight and uh, and body mm -hmm. composition um, but it is what most people think of when they first start thinking about wanting to be a bit healthier and yet when you look at the methods that people use to try and achieve that goal that they've set themselves they're using well let's put it this way the the optimal way of eating for body composition isn't the same as the optimal way of eating for uh, long-term health so Mm -hmm. A lot of people will uh, will eat in a way which mimics their personal trainers or bodybuilders or people who are particularly lean because they've seen leanness on the front cover of magazines like Men's Health and Women's Health and stuff like that. And so mm. they big, big red letters saying the word health and then a picture <laughs> of someone with a six pack and you start making this association. And so they think, yeah. right, I, I want to eat in that way. So they're eating, um, they're going, right, I need to make sure I eat enough protein. I need to make sure I'm in a calorie deficit. I need to eat green veggies. I need to avoid junk food. I need to um, drink just water. I need to not go out and uh, go out for meals with my friends. I need to not drink alcohol. I need to, um, and, and they have this long list of things they, they can and can't do. It's very restrictive, you know, it's very, very strict. Yeah. And um, that gets people the results if they stick to it which is very unlikely 
that will get people the results in terms of their body composition. They'll get lean. However, it won't get them healthy because they're restricting themselves and, and it's they're eating less different, less variety of food. And variety of food is obviously a big uh, indicator of overall health because you're going to get a wider variety of nutrients and stuff like that, especially from plant-based foods. And uh, so they're not they're not getting that, but also mentally and emotionally they're stunting themselves because they they they're restricting their social life. And food is social. Food is spiritual. Food is there's there's a huge amount of emotional response around it, which people who diet and follow that way of eating of bodybuilders and fitness models and and athletes and stuff like that, they start missing out on that. And that is such a huge part of well being. And if you, whereas if you go the other way and you go, right, I'm going to eat for health and I'm going to eat a wide variety of food and I'm still going to be sociable and I'm still going to do this and you're eating for health and longevity, you will still probably improve your body composition. It will just be slower. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I think I was really lucky in the sense that my my family ate really well. I just, I had, you know, um, I lived in the States and then every summer for like, three months I'd be I'd go back to Japan to spend it with my grandmother and I'm not you know my grandma's not putting me on diet or anything but she she cooks with vegetables she you know is very cautious about having a lot of variety of things um you know and like just moderate portions and I'm just eating what's being you know given to me but she's just cooking these really healthy meals and I come back every summer from Japan and then find out I lost weight. I wasn't even trying. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just eating what was given to me. And, you know, it's just with, it's a lot of vegetables and, but it's healthy proteins, it's healthy meat. And I'm finding out, Hey, I like look different, but it's not like I was eating for, for a certain body composition. It's just, you know, I'm eating to be healthy because my grandma cares about, you know, making sure I get new, like, proper nutrition yeah and i so. think if, if that's if that's something that we can kind of adopt more um in our lives a way of eating which is about well-being and about health and about looking after ourselves and self-love like you said it's a, it's about feeling good and going this food actually makes me feel more energetic and all of this stuff rather than feeling sluggish which which a lot of people feel a lot of people feel sluggish they feel lethargic and it's because of of you know overfeeding but undernourishing is something i saw the other day they're mm-hmm. overfeeding the actual amount of food but the, the 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 nourishment from that volume of food is very very minimal because of what it is um but yeah r- nourishing our bodies instead of going on a diet and we will not only because the thing is if people go on a diet they may get the body composition but often they'll feel worse they'll feel less energetic and they'll feel mm-hmm. more tired because of because of the restrictions and they'll be miserable i mean i've never met anyone on a diet who's happy ever in my life it's you know and the the gratification of getting your ideal body type is so short because then you're becoming really anxious about reverting back to whatever (laughs) you know you're trying to get away from and so you're just super stressed and anxious and then food just becomes it takes over your life it takes over like you know you're like what am I going to eat like at what time oh I can't eat with my friends I can't eat with my family oh they're going to bring dessert that's going to be awkward to say no to yeah and it it's not it's not a great way to balance you know because it you know having dessert it's really nice and it like holidays eating you know whatever is on the table 
they're like really good memories. And I think those are important experiences to preserve. Yeah. So that's also part of health and well-being. Absolutely. And we, you know, something I've brought up in other conversations I've had is the language around food. If you think about how many things um, in, in language are kind of analogies around food and things like that. So the one I always bring up is the phrase breaking bread and the idea of breaking bread being mm. this kind of social um, kind of making amends and making friends and developing relationships. And the analogy is breaking bread, sharing food. And you just think, that that's that's a saying for a reason that's a concept for a reason because food has always been the center in any culture you look at any culture around the world historically food has been the center of social gatherings religious occasions um festivals celebrations whether it's you know whether you're looking at uh, whether it's religious or whether it's uh, birthdays or whether it's um you know seasonal and people are celebrating harvest mm-hmm. and people all of these things are focused around food and to suggest that food is merely the fuel you put in your body and nothing else is <laughs> is it's a bit naive really and i mean it, you can try and do it that way and I guess there are people out there who would, if if I said, right, here's a pill which has everything your body needs on a daily basis and you won't need to eat at all, some people would take that. But it would be a tiny minority of people because there's so much enjoyment out of out of eating. Mm-hmm. It's it's a huge part of our identity. It's a huge way we value our relationships, the way we think about ourselves and just our culture. So, you know... Yeah, like you said, the people who take that pill, it's a small, small minority. And I think most of us are, you know, we have memories that are really associated with food. Um, maybe not the food itself, but that experience of yeah. just sharing food. So yeah. and those we are make really that, important things to, yeah. <laughs> we, we make that association, don't we, with the... Um if it's the the memories are you know all the fun that's going on around us and we then associate being happy with certain types of food and that's actually quite a powerful thing when you think about kind of from on a societal level as well because so many people now associate those those occasions with um food which isn't particularly nourishing and i don't necessarily just mean that in a physical sense but in a kind of spiritual sense if i'm going to get all hippie but um <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't make you feel good it's like if you think about mcdonald's right people go and have mm-hmm. kids kids birthday parties at mcdonald's um and things like the happy meal and so it's people is building this association between happiness and a particular brand it's not even the food it's the brand mm-hmm. and so when then someone is an adult and they feel low they gravitate towards something which they associate with happiness. And that happiness comes from um, going to visit this particular brand and and get themselves a meal from there, which never no one ever feels good after eating from somewhere like that. It's not, it's not a particular... That's not why someone goes, oh, you know what? They do really good burgers at McDonald's. No one ever says that, do they? Um, whereas if we can build better associations and better memories with food which is yeah it doesn't have to be your archetypal healthy meal you know chicken rice and broccoli like the kind of bodybuilders staple but um it's if it's kind of home cooked and you you kind of start developing an enjoyment and an attachment to creating the food as well as eating it then your celebrations and your gatherings 
whether it's Christmas, which is obviously coming up, whether it's uh, other religious mm-hmm. festivals, whether it's birthdays, that the association is not just with eating the food, but with creating the food and sitting down and sharing it. And it, it builds these these uh, associations so that when you're feeling low, you're more likely to make yourself something to eat than you are to go and get a takeaway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think cooking, it's so, so powerful. And just having, you know, be knowing what you're eating, what you're putting in your body yeah. is something that sounds really obvious. Like you should know what you, you're eating. But when you're buying and ordering takeout and, you know, you're not cooking your own food, you just wouldn't know all the time. So I think cooking is just one of those um, you know, we really should be teaching them in schools and public school systems because it's a really, um, like you said, it's an underrated um, sort of aspect of taking care of ourselves, I think. Yeah. It's a skill everyone needs. It is. I mean, it's it, like you said, it seems really <laughs> obvious. And I think that we've become so... Uh, I guess busy um or at least the we've got the we we feel that we're so busy and a lot of that time isn't necessarily doing what stuff that we need to be doing but it feels like we are because when we're not working or looking after the kids or um sorting out the repairs on our house that need doing or whatever it is when we're not doing those we're thinking about it and worrying about it and anxious about it and so it feels like it takes up way more time than it actually does um whereas in reality when you're worrying about it and you're stressing about these things but not actually solving them um you're worrying about how many emails you've got to reply to at work or the project that you've got going on or the argument that you've had with your other half or whatever um that's time that's dead time that's time that you're probably sat maybe on your phone or watching tv or just sat there worrying or thinking about stuff um Whereas if you then said, right, I'm going to take this 30 minutes and rather than sat on Facebook worrying, doom scrolling, I think they've called it this year, doom scrolling, where I'm just going to scroll through all the horrible stuff that's happening in the world. I'm going to take that oh 30 <laughs> I'm going to take that 30 minutes I'm going to cook. Oh, I know, I know. Tell me about it. And it is distracting and I get it. And it is, it creates anxiety in, 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 in ourselves mm. because it is, we feel that it's dangerous. We feel that the stuff going on globally is, is going to affect us and it's worrying and it's scary and I understand that but if you then take that time and you go right I'm going to go and cook myself a meal I'm going to spend 30 minutes I'm not talking about spending three hours slaving over a masterpiece but if you spend half an hour whipping up a a simple but um, fresh meal while you're cooking that you're not going to be thinking about all the stuff you've got to worry about it's an exercise in mindfulness you're there in the moment cooking Mm -hmm. creating something and that stimulates all kinds of good stuff in the brain Oh my God. Yes. I know this is going to sound weird, but like chopping vegetables, that's like, it's really calming. (laughs) It is. It is. Um, It's cathartic, isn't it? It does. We like weird here. So that's fine. (laughs) But it's, it's a lost, it's a lost thing. People have lost that connection with what, what they're eating. They've lost that. uh, People go, I don't cook or I can't cook or whatever. And it's just like, you probably can, you just need to start simple and, to be honest, one of my favourite places to start, one of my favourite th- things to do even now, and I love cooking, is Asian cuisine, whether it's Japanese or whether it's Southeast Asian and stuff like that, because I love the the um, how quick some of it can be and yet be so... Mm-hmm kind of wholesome and varied and all all I've done is chucked a load of stuff in a pan and some spices and um made a soup or like whatever it is. In fact, that's that what's what's what would a typical 
kind of because there's going to be people listening to this who have no idea what a typical kind of <laughs> Japanese meal might be might look like. What would it when you used to go and visit your 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 grandma? Like what did what kind of stuff did she serve you up? Um. Okay. The standard Japanese meal. It's going to sound complicated, but it's really not. It's it's called ichiju sansai, which translates to one soup, three sides. Okay. And so it'd always be a miso soup, and miso is literally just it's hot water and miso paste, and then you throw in some cubes of tofu or dried, um, like a sea vegetable, like wakame. Yep. That's the soup. Then you got your rice. You just put that in the rice cooker. It's done. And then your three sides, it'd be two vegetables and one protein side dish. So the protein might be like a grilled fish. You know, you put that on the pan, cook it for a few minutes until it's done um, with salt or maybe you're using miso paste or soy sauce. Um, and then the vegetable dishes would be, you know, there's literally like hundreds of thousands of different things it yeah. could be, but like it'd be steamed spinach with soy sauce or um, like a like a mushroom saute with um, carrots or something. Yeah. There's, there's so many, but that w- that's the typical standard Japanese thing, I'd say. So the, the, um, <laughs> I, I don't know, like, it sounds, like you said, it sounds complicated because there's different elements there. What's the kind of time frame for, for, for making something like that? Because obviously those things, you can, you have them on the go at the same time, right? Yeah. Um, well, I think it requires a little forethought. You know, you got to make r- rice takes like you, you just put in the rice cooker, but you got to think about like, oh, I got I'm going to eat dinner an hour from now. I got to make the rice now. Yeah. Um, but I think I'd probably spend around 30 minutes per meal. Um, I make my side dishes in bulk. So I would make a bunch of some vegetable side dish, put it the rest in a Tupperware. And then if I had that for lunch one day, maybe I'd have it again for dinner the next yeah. So I'm kind of swapping side dishes as I go along. I think that yeah. pre-preparing stuff like that and making in bulk, with whatever cuisine you're cooking, is is such a good way of saving time um, when you're when you're trying to eat healthily. So some of the things that are that I love to to cook, if like if I'm going to make a chili or a pasta sauce or a curry or something like that, I'll make an enormous pot of it, and it will feed us for. And this is like it will feed three adults and two kids for uh for two nights and probably a couple of lunches as well like um because because i just think why cook why cook two or three times when i can cook once and then it's like having a it's like having a ready meal but i know what's in it yeah no it's really that and so cooking is a bit of it's you know it's forethought and you gotta put some time into it but in the end you're probably saving time and you're definitely saving money oh yeah anything about takeout anything about you know going out to eat or something absolutely and it's it's you you may it may seem like a little bit of time investment to start with but like you said you kind of make that back because you're not thinking every day about oh what have i got to cook what have i got to cook because you've sat down for maybe just 30 minutes on a sunday and planned your meals for the week ahead just by going right this is why yeah. and you and you it's not just the money that you save on 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 kind of buying takeaways and and bits and pieces like that or going out for food it's um it's also if when you do a weekly shop for example you buy the stuff you need because you know what you're going to be cooking whereas if you if you haven't got any idea what you're cooking on thursday and you just go i'm just going to buy all this stuff and then by the end of the week half of it's gone off because you haven't used it so having that plan Mm. saves that wastage which is not just better for your wallet it's better for the environment as well yeah there's nothing worse than wasting 
you know, a good grocery shop and you're no. like, oh, I didn't use those vegetables. It's frustrating. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- yeah, you talk about 30 minutes and, and um, it is, you can do a lot in that amount of time. If you if you just get set aside 30 minutes to cook um, on the nights that you are kind of, you are going to make something. And the, the kind of structure of the meal that you've talked about, where it's kind of, you've got your soup, you've got your rice, you've got your protein, you've got your veg, you're, you're covering so many bases there. And, and even if you don't like, uh, you know, Japanese cuisine or Asian cuisine or whatever, and you're, you're, you're very much more um, kind of traditional Western British or american food or whatever you can still use the same philosophy and go right if i was going to use the same principle of these kind of five different things where where you've got your rice your soup two veggies and a protein you can have something similar laid out on in in a in any different cuisine you go right i'm gonna have i'm gonna make sure that this is this is what it looks like or even if you don't have the soup you can have like right i'm gonna make sure i'm gonna fill half my plate with uh, a couple of different kinds of veg and then I'm going to have mm-hmm. my uh, my rice or my starch of some kind, whether it's rice or potatoes or pasta or whatever, a quarter of the plate. And then I'm going to have my protein as another quarter of the plate. And that's your kind of full plate. But if you've got this, um, the I think some of the power is not in that specific framework, but it's in having a framework of some kind that you work within mm-hmm. and go, this is kind of what my meals are going to look like. Because at the moment, most people's meals look like, here's an enormous pile of starch with some protein and fat on the top. And that's about it. Mm. <laughs> and so any yeah, kind of framework I mean- <laughs> is improve- improvement on that. Yeah, it's less important that it's, you know, that it's fish or that it's rice, but it's more important that, hey, you know, a single serving of carbs, you got two servings of vegetables and then you have protein and it just the framework creates balance and it just makes that part easier. Without a doubt. And I think soup is um, is a really powerful one because a lot of people overeat. And I heard a, I heard a quote recently from Rungan Chatterjee, who is, um, I don't know whether you've come across him, but he's got a fantastic podcast called uh, Feel Better, Live More. And it's, it's a fantastic podcast, one of my favourites. And he's written a few books and he's working on a new one at the moment, which is about weight loss. And a quote that he put up on his Instagram recently said, um, we used to eat to fill a hole in our stomach and now we eat to fill a hole in our heart. And I thought it was quite a succinct way of putting this idea that we're kind of eating our emotions in a lot of ways. And the reason that people overeat is not because they're particularly hungry, but it's because they're unhappy. And so in order to try and counter that, obviously we have to deal with the stuff that's that's making people unhappy. And that's a much longer journey, I think, when we start going into that and start kind of looking at why we're why we're feeling a certain way. It takes a lot of time to to kind of unpick all those threads from our past. But in the meantime, if we want to eat a more nourishing way that isn't so energy dense, but is a lot more nutrient dense, soup is a great way of of, of helping us not overeat so much because uh, a miso soup is is so low in energy but it's quite filling and it's satisfying and it's tasty it's like it's i love miso soup it's like it's, it's an epic thing one of my f- favorite things is having like a having a miso soup as a as a base for like a noodle soup kind of thing like that it's like an easy lunch um mm-hmm. it's so tasty and so flavorful and so filling and yet it's mostly water yeah no and it's just about having variety, you know, you don't want to just, it's like soup is just a different kind of food type and variety is always good when you're thinking about food. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, (laughs) it's, it creates that, 
you're going back to enjoyment. We started off this conversation with you talking about <laughs> joy in what we're doing and joy in the way we eat and joy in the way we move. And variety is a key part of that. If we do the mm-hmm. same thing every day, eat the same thing every day, move in the same way all the time, it becomes mundane. It becomes um, frustrating. We feel that's why restriction in terms of diets and workout programs is is a death sentence for results because you, you get so bored that you just stop doing it. Um, and the thing with food is that you don't, you don't have to eat the same thing every day. Uh, you know, if you had to, you could find ways of ways of creating a, a bit more of a, a positive relationship with it. But the, but the beauty of it is you don't have to. You could eat something different every single day if you wanted. And variety is something, you know, they say variety is the spice of life, isn't it? And humans love this breadth of experience. People love going to new countries and trying different foods. So why not bring that into your home and try new things and try that variety? Yeah, no, definitely. Just you know, you got to keep changing it up and find different ways that kind of keep it interesting to you. Absolutely. So I think that would be a, this would be a good point to ask you if someone did want to make some changes in terms of their lifestyle. If someone's listening to this and they go, right, I know I want to nourish my body better. I know I want to, I know I want to feel better. Um, I want to do it from a place where it is about self-love and not about uh, restriction and dieting and things like that. And I really like the sound of how uh, the kind of what I can learn from the Japanese way of doing things. What would you suggest would be a good starting point? What piece of advice would you give to someone who just wanted to make a couple of tweaks in their lifestyle? Um, I think the first is hard because if you never had had Japanese food, don't know how to cook it, but are just interested, um, you know, find an Instagram and, you know, someone who cooks Japanese food or get a cookbook I love um she her name's Harumi Kurihara um she is like they call her Martha Stewart of Japan but she just puts like Japanese healthy home cooking in a really um easy way and she's I love the stuff she put out um she taught me home cooking in the beginning but find a cookbook um find someone who just want to replicate the way they eat the way they cook and you know learn from them and don't put too much pressure on it don't be like okay i'm gonna make 10 different things and you know i'm gonna change my whole way i eat but you know they'll post a recipe they'll post something they ate and be like oh i want to try that you know make it at home and have fun with it you know experiment stay playful about it don't be so serious about trying to eat healthy you can you know just keep it like something really fun and joyful love it awesome and walk more as well Anyone listening yeah, to this? If you're not more. walking enough, walk more. Um, no, I think that's I think that's great advice. And like you said, it's just it's it's about experimenting. It's about trying new things. It's about making mistakes and not worrying about it. Not trying to not trying to overcomplicate things. But like anything, start small, start easy, simple, build those foundations, and 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 go from there. Um, so yeah, I think that's I think that's fantastic advice. Um, so if people, I mean, you said find someone to follow on Instagram. Is that the place? If people want to follow what you do and have a look, because obviously you you have, you you put kind of excerpts from your articles and stuff on there, but you've got some recipes and bits and pieces on your Instagram as well, haven't you? Yeah, um, you can follow me if you want. I I like to post those things. Um, I mean, this wasn't meant to be like self promotion, but um, I'll take the opportunity you know. and get it in there. <laughs> Yeah, um, follow me on Instagram if you want. Or 
I, I like cookbooks. I like the print. You know, I like flipping through things. I like putting sticky tabs and stuff and just the pretty photos. Plus, I don't like ads. That stresses me out and it sure. takes away from the cooking. Um, so, you know, buy cookbooks. Spend money on learning how to make Japanese food. I agree with that. Yeah. Like, there's something nice about cookbooks. I love books in general, but cookbooks, just having them there and flicking through and finding ideas, you can do that in a way which is much more kind of casual than when you look online, often you're searching for something specific. Whereas in a book, you mm-hmm. can flick through and the imagery is always beautiful in a good cookbook and things jump out yeah. at you. And you can, like you said, you can put you can put little notes in and say, well, I, I did it, I tried it this way and I adjusted it this way. And it can become like a, you know, you, you, you end up with your own ideas and these kind of recipes which get handed down. And that's something which I think that um, a lot of cultures have lost now, especially kind of more, oh, they always talk about more Western or more um, economically developed countries, which I think, you know, at what cost? Because we've lost a lot of this kind of interaction between generations, even where recipes get passed down from generation to generation. And people used to have these kind of family recipes for certain dishes. Um, and, and I don't, know it I, I hardly know anyone who does that anymore and you can you can start doing that again anyone listening to this who who likes the sound of that if you start getting back into cooking you might have recipes which you can then teach your kids and they can teach their kids and it becomes a, a really nice way of communicating with people who aren't even alive yet you know you've got this thing that you're passing <laughs> down and i think that's that's uh, it's an amazing thought when you think about it there's so much more to this than just just food and just fueling your body yes Connect with your family, connect with your friends, share food, cook with people. It's all Makes good. it more fun. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much, Kaki, for um, coming on and having this chat with us. It's been absolutely mega. Um, what I'll do, I know you mentioned your um, your instagram what i will do is i'll put a link to that in the description for this episode so anyone listening to this on spotify or on anchor there will be a link in the description uh so you can go and check out that instagram page um if it's if you're listening on apple that link won't work for some reason so you'll just have to go and search for it yourself um but uh yeah i will also put a couple of links to a couple of your medium articles as well and people can go and have a have a little look at look at those and have a read through um so yeah once again thank you so much for for coming on and having this chat with me um and hopefully speak to you again soon yeah thank you for having me it was a lot of fun (laughs) thank you for listening to fit body fit mind with me jay unwin If you aren't already connected with me on LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook, then you can find all the links in the podcast description or on my website at fitbodyfitmind.online. Until next time, stay fit, stay well and have fun.